where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. We're lucky to have with us this morning storyteller Pam Farrow, who has been joining us once a month through this spring season. She'll be telling a story up here uh, and then sharing another with children who would like to go out and join her in Fireside. So welcome, Pam, and thanks for being here again today. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be back here. If you were here the last time I visited and heard the story that I told, it was about a couple of farmers. Well, not all my stories are about a couple of farmers, but today's is two. Once, long ago, in the land that is known now as Israel-Palestine. There lived two brothers, and yes, they were farmers. They farmed the land that they had inherited from their father. They farmed it together, and they grew fine, rich grain on that land. Now, one of the brothers had never married, had no children. He lived by himself in a small house on one side of their fields. The other brother had married a woman whom he loved, and they had seven children. (laughs) They lived in a somewhat larger house. On the other side of the fields, they farmed together. And every day, the two brothers would get up and go out and work those fields side by side. And every harvest time, When they harvested that good, fine grain, they would put it into sacks, and they would divide up the sacks between them, half and half, 50-50, each brother getting the same amount of grain to put in his barn. It had always been so. Until one night, The brother who lived alone, he was done with the day's chores and he was sitting by the fire and he began to think. And he thought, hmm, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's just not My brother and I farm these fields together, and at harvest we divide up the grain half and half. We each get the exact same amount. It's just not. Because I have only myself to feed, care for. But my brother, he has his large, wonderful family, all those mouths to feed. He should take more than half of the grain. Mm-hmm. Oh, but I know my brother. I know what he would say. If I approached him about this, told him he should do that, I know what he'd say. He would say, no. Then he got an idea. So that night, 
as the stars were twinkling overhead. He stepped out to his barn, went to where he kept all of his sacks of grain. He picked up one of those sacks of grain and he carried it across the starlit fields all the way over to his brother's barn. His brother's dogs didn't even bark at him. They knew him so well. And he went right inside and he set that additional sack of grain down next to all of his brother's sacks of grain. And then he went home and he had a good night's sleep. But that same night, the other brother sat by the fire, looked into the faces of all of his beloved family. And he began to think, hmm, 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 hmm. No, it's, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's just not that my brother and I, we farm these fields side by side every day. At harvest time, we do that work together. We divide up the grain half and half. We each get the same amount. It's just not I am surrounded every day by this family that I love. And my brother lives all alone. He, he has no children who will grow and, and take care of him when he is old. Now, he should take more than half of the grain so he could set it by for the future or sell it for coin. Oh, but I know my brother. I know if I were to talk to him about taking more than half the grain, he would say no. And then he got an idea. So, excuse me, a little bit later that night, after he tucked all of his children into bed, he went out to his barn, and not only were the stars twinkling overhead, but the moon was just beginning to rise in the east. And he went in the dark and he picked up a sack of grain from his barn, carried it all the way across those starlit fields, set it in his brother's barn. His brother's dogs didn't even bark at him. They knew him so well. And he put it down next to his brother's sacks of grain. And he went home and he had a good night's sleep. Well, the next morning, each brother got up, and as they did every morning, which I had not yet told you, they went out to the barns before heading out to the field, and each counted their sacks of grain as they did every morning, and and, and there was, well, I, I know, I, I, I took one away last night thought the one brother. Well, I, have I been counting wrong all this time? thought the other. Well, they didn't know what you know. It was a puzzle. It was a mystery. It almost seemed a, a miracle. Well, that day the brothers worked side by side in the field, and later that night the brother who lived alone as the stars were twinkling overhead, he went out to his barn. Once again, he picked up a sack of grain, he carried it across the field, set it in, in his brother's barn. A little bit later, after he tucked all of his children into bed, the other brother went out, 
not only were the stars there, but the moon was just beginning to rise in the east. He picked up a sack of grain, carried it across the field, put it in his brother's barn. And the next morning, once again, each brother was not missing the sack of grain he'd taken. Well, this went on and on and on. Until one night, the brother who lived alone had finished his chores a little bit earlier that day. And so by the time he went out, no, I misspoke. His chores had taken a little bit longer that day. So that by the time he went out to the barn, not only were the stars twinkling overhead, but that moon was beginning to rise in the east. And the other brother, he was the one who had finished everything up a little bit early that day, and he tucked his children into bed. And when he went out to his barn, yeah, that moon was just beginning to rise in the east. And each brother picked up a sack of grain and began carrying it across the fields. And in the very middle of the middle field, the two brothers met. And immediately, they could see what the answer to the puzzle, the mystery, the miracle was. And each brother set his sack of grain down, and they stepped up, and those two embraced each other. For they knew, they knew that they would always have the, excuse me, always have the care of each other. Now, some say that God in heaven looked down at those two embracing brothers and said that this spot will be forever holy. For here, I have witnessed great love. And that's the story of the two brothers from Israel-Palestine. Any of the children who would like to join Pam and Addie and Alyssa in Fireside for a story are welcome to do that. They will be returning to the sanctuary after that story, um, and we will just allow them to come in when they come in. We are hearing another story uh, from what is now modern-day Israel, Palestine. This story is a story that comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew. We have been working our way through the core teachings of Jesus as they come out in the Sermon on the Mount. And so we began this year with the Beatitudes, the blessings that Jesus gave as the people gathered around him. We looked at um, how he told them that they are the light for the world and how we can let our own lights shine. We heard a bit about what we call these antithetical teachings, where Jesus 
drew from his own scriptures and said things like, you've heard to do this when you're angry, but I say to do this instead. And those were pretty challenging. He continues on from there, and he gives these teachings about how to not be show-offs and hypocrites. Don't pray too loudly, and don't uh, display your wealth when you're going to give things at the temple. And in the midst of that, in Matthew, that's where the Lord's Prayer comes in. Jesus is saying to his followers, his friends, his disciples, as they're all gathering around him, this is how to pray so that you don't like be show-offy about it. It's just all you need to say. It's right here. It's a little different for us in Luke. And then we come to these teachings that we have today about treasures and focus and what it is we're paying attention to. So we're beginning in Matthew 6, 19, where Jesus says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moths and rust consume and where thieves can break in and steal them. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consume and where thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. And he continues with some teachings like that, and we're picking up again in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Do not worry about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't plant or pick. They don't gather and store things in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more important than they are? And can any of you add a day to your life by worrying? And Jesus looks around them again, and he continues, and he says, Think about the lilies in the field, how they grow. And they don't toil or spin. But I tell you that even Solomon, in all of his glory, wasn't as beautiful as these are. And so if God clothes the grass of the fields which is alive today and tomorrow is gone, how much more will he care for you? Strive first for the kingdom of God and God's righteousness, because all of these things will be given to you too. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. It is interesting to hear that story that Pam told alongside these teachings that Jesus told, the way that people were inspired 
to live in love. And I want to share with you another story that comes from author Scott Dan Miller, who wrote a book called A Year Without a Purchase. And in this book, he talks about this year where his family of four set out on an experiment where they would not buy anything for a whole year. And they bought food, and they could spend money on experiences, but they couldn't buy anything tangible, not even used. And what's interesting about this book and this experiment is that it wasn't like a budgeting move. It wasn't about cutting down on clutter in the house. It was spiritual. The goal as they went into it was to reevaluate their relationship with stuff. Two months into the experiment, Scott's suitcase broke. And he is a consultant and he travels frequently for work. And so it turned into kind of this big family problem. And he ended up using his daughter's small, um, like little lavender suitcase. So he went on his business trips for the following 10 months, pulling along this little purple suitcase that had been his daughter's. And when he talks about it, he talks about that being a pivotal moment. He says, it didn't match who I was, and I had a lot of trouble with it. But what it taught me was that if this bag says something about who I am, am I also making judgments about other people based on what they own? And how wrong is that? He says that was one of the toughest lessons to learn. And he got to learn it for 10 months, so there was that. It reminds me, though, that there is a lot wrapped up in stuff. And what I appreciated about his reflection on the suitcase is this correlation that he points out between who we own and what we are. We put a lot of pressure on owning the right thing. And I'm always surprised by how early that starts. How old were you when you realized that there are the right things and the wrong things? There's the right shoes and the right toys and the right pencils and the right notebooks. There's a lot of baggage, pun intended, (laughs) around what we own. But there was a lot of baggage for Jesus' first hearers, too. You know, Jesus, when he's speaking to them, isn't even really talking about extras, right? He's not talking about suitcases. He's talking about the necessities for survival. Don't worry about what you eat or drink or wear. And it's poetic when he says it to compare ourselves to the lilies of the field, you know, that are clothed so beautifully. But we know that clothes have a practical purpose. Right here in Colorado, we need a few more layers than the lilies of the fields. And it means that when we read this passage, we kind of have to muddle through it a little bit more. We can agree that being overly focused on stuff is distracting. 
but we can also agree that life requires some things, and those things require some money. And I think that tension is probably why Jesus spent so much time talking about money and stuff. You know, we think we can draw this line between our physical selves and our spiritual selves. But Jesus was pretty clear that those things are intertwined. And that means that how we interact with the world around us is shaped by our spirituality. And it also means that our spirituality shapes the way that we interact with the things around us. I used to think that maybe when I got to be spiritual enough, those things would not bother me. But it turns out it doesn't work like that. It's a dance. We're figuring out how to stretch and grow and interact with the world in this new way. And the new way that Jesus is talking about is this kingdom of God. And it's interesting how he talks about it as this reality that exists among us. If only we can see it. And so when he talks about all these things, he's talking about them as possibilities for things that get in the way of how we see. It reminds me of those little paper eyeglasses that you get, like around Christmas time and then again on Fourth of July, where you put them on and if you look at a light, the light suddenly looks different. And it reminds me of that especially because they're a little annoying. When you put them on at first, they're distracting. You can't figure out where to look to make sense of the world. And then when you look at the right thing, you see what it's being pointed to. When Jesus talks to us about this stuff and these things, it's disorienting. It doesn't make sense until we look at the right thing. And what Jesus wants us to look at is this emerging kingdom of God. The thing that he's reminding us here is that anxiousness narrows our field of vision. That's the trick of worry or anxiety. It tricks us into believing that if we can control the thing we worry about, we won't worry about it. If we can control our careers, our children, our parents, we don't have to worry about the unpredictability of what will happen. But in trying to control these things, we focus on them more, and in focusing on them more, you know what happens, we give them more control. What Jesus proposes is this solution to stop focusing on that thing. Start focusing on a different thing. Set your sights on the kingdom of God first, and then let those other things fall into place. I heard another story recently about Brandon and Faith Lee, who started a coffee shop in New York City. It's called Branch Coffee Shop. 
Faith and Brandon went into this vision for this business with their faith in place first. And their idea was that this coffee shop could be a place of real refreshment for people. Not just a treat or a quick pick-me-up, but a place that rejuvenated everyone who was connected to it. And so what they've done as they got their business started is they ensured that every step along the way lined up with this faith that they were trying to live out. They've wanted to make sure that their supply chain is ethical for the planet and for humans. They use their shop as a job training site for people who would otherwise struggle to be employed. They have welcomed in there to learn new skills people who are experiencing homelessness, people who have been convicted of crimes, victims of trafficking and exploitation. And it means that they are constantly training new people because once the people learn the skills, they're able to move on. And it makes it a bit harder to run a business when you're always training new people. But it's become something that they have really committed to. Jonathan Walton, who I heard this story from, says that the Lees didn't hold the return on investment for their shareholders above the investment they were making in the laborers, the baristas, or creation that gives us the gifts that make every drink and pastry possible. Brandon and Faith quit their own jobs in order to ensure that those who lacked living wages and job training could live in a society that says that they are worthy. And that that didn't end just because they once lived on the street or made a mistake or were exploited. Putting their faith at the center of their business meant completely reimagining the model of how we live and work. And I know that not all of us are going to start businesses, and maybe not all of us are going to do an experiment to go a year without buying anything new. We have different gifts, and we're at different stages. But I do think that we can all think about where we put our attention and how we let those things define us. And so with that in mind, these stories reminded me of a story that Julie Nosek shared recently, and so I asked her if she would share that with all of us as well this morning. Hi. A couple years ago at Christmas time, I got pretty upset because it seemed to me everything I was seeing around this very special holiday looked like a shopping frenzy. And the American consumerism was at its very best. And it bothered me. It bothered me because I had just as part of Carpenters read a book that in it said that the jet fuel emissions that 
power the planes that bring us all this stuff, all this clothing and everything, were immense. And I thought, but what can I do about it? I'm just one person, what could I do? And I thought, you know, I've got enough clothes to hold me through this year, this winter and next summer. I'm gonna just make a New Year's resolution that I will not buy any clothing this next year. That was two years ago. <laughs> now I have it somewhat easy that way because I don't work outside the home and so I don't need business attire and my jeans hang in there pretty good and t-shirts. But it was amazing what, it just kind of lifted a load off of me to be able to do something. And so that continues. Now every once in a while I have to replace something, but uh, I'm, just not, I'm just not buying clothes. And uh, we'll see how long I last, <laughs> how long it lasts. But so far, so good. So it's worth a try. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Julie. <laughs> Friends, be careful of where your attention is at. Notice the things that are pulling on you. And notice where God might be asking you to refocus and find the kingdom. For it is here, and it is now, and it is growing. And our reflection continues through the week. <laughs>